0: Welcome to episode 59 of the RSA Resident and Student podcast series, a production of the American Academy of Emergency Medicine Resident and Student Association. RSA is an accessible collaborative organization that fosters innovation, education, and advocacy for residents and students in emergency medicine. In this episode, Dr. Faith Quenzer, a PGY-4 at Desert Regional Medical Center and past AEM RSA at-large director, as well as co-chair of the AEM Women in Emergency Medicine Committee, speaks with Dr. Gus Carmel, a former co-director of the Stanford Santa Clara Kaiser Emergency Medicine Residency Program and AEM Education Committee member. Today, Dr. Faith Quenzer and Dr. Gus Carmel discuss easing the transition to attending. Hi, this is Dr.
1: Faith Quenzer from Desert Regional Medical Center, and I'm a PGY-4 there. I'm also doing this podcast uh, for RSA on transitioning to resident to attending for RSA. And with me right now, I have Dr. Gus Garmel from Stanford, Kaiser. And he is going to talk a lot about how this transitioning process will go from resident to attending. And we are so privileged to have him here to give us his experience and to give us his advice on this. Brief introduction here. So Dr. Garmel is this passionate, dedicated educator. He has served Stanford as a clerkship director and program director for approximately 22 years, and he's won numerous teaching awards, including the AM Educator of the Year Award and the Program Director Award also. So with that in mind, Tell us exactly, you know, a little bit about yourself in that transitioning from resident to attending. What were your experiences?
2: Well, thank you, Faith, and, and it's an honor to be here. I appreciate you taking the time to not only introduce me, but to offer me the opportunity to share my wisdom and experience with the listeners up there from RSA. So thank you for that. I think in terms of resident education, one of our metrics is how well we prepare our residents to transition to an attending physician or a new position or faculty position, however you'd like to determine that. And I've found over my experience in my career that there was a missing curriculum, and that's actually something that the RSA has developed for AAM. Back at the beginning of my tenure as the co-director of the Stanford Kaiser Emergency Residence Program, I noticed that there wasn't a lot of information out there about careers and career planning. So as an Emra recipient of the ASEP Teaching Fellowship Scholarship, my project was to develop a textbook on career planning and emergency medicine. And I did that based on a curriculum that I had set up for our senior residents in their first class. And that was back in early nineteen nineties. With that I've continued to remain passionate about educating residents for the transition to being an attending and I'm here to help talk about that and to some of the goals and some of the specifics and I'm also giving a lecture later today on that topic. It's a lecture that I give to our graduating residents every year at the end of their year and they've told me over the years that it's extremely helpful and valuable information so I'm going to be able to share that with everyone today.
1: Awesome. We are excited to receive some of these pearls that you will be giving later on today. What do you think are some common pitfalls of residents transitioning into attendings, um, specifically in the community, for example?
2: That's a great question, Faith. Thank you. I think one pitfall is that no matter how talented and successful a resident is, a new position at a new facility is extremely challenging. There are a lot of nuances that may differ or very likely differ from where you've trained as a resident. Not only are the people different, but the workflow is different. The EMR or electronic medical record may be different. The way people interact is likely different. And there are so many differences that it can be overwhelming, even though a patient with chest pain or a patient with abdominal pain is essentially the same patient that you've been taking care of and training as a resident. There's so many nuances that it is important to get a sense of the workflow and the particulars to that department. So one of the most important recommendations I have is to shadow or to get a mentor or both before you start your first clinical shift, because I don't think that it's enough. Well, I'm certain that it's not enough to show up on your first shift and say, here I am, I'm an attending, what do I do? That's not right for patients. That's not right for you individually as a professional. And I think that onboarding, which is extremely variable at different places, is the responsibility not only of the facility where you're working, but even more important, the responsibility of the individual.
1: That's great advice. Thank you. What should senior residents be looking for in joining a new group, for example, like an independent emergency physician group, or even if they were looking into a CMG or even an academic institution, what are some clear things that they need to be looking for in those
2: groups? So there are so many variables in terms of practice. Clearly, location is very important to many people, and the types of patients and the work environment is very important to people, and it should be. But in terms of an academic position, a community position, a teaching position, I think it's important to look at your colleagues and the type of practice that they have, how they care for patients, Mm -hmm. how kind they are to patients, how the nurses interact with the physicians and vice versa, opportunities for teaching, opportunities for parity or equity, and that could include or does include or should include financial equity or financial parity, scheduling parity, work parity in terms of workload, and then opportunity for advancement. So emergency medicine careers are very challenging, and some opportunities – or some facilities or some departments will have more opportunity for advancement than others, whether it's a leadership position, a teaching position, an academic position. So I think that having the support of the hospital and administrative leadership at a new position is very important so that you can continue to develop your career, not only as a practicing emergency clinician or emergency medicine clinician, But also as a leader and as perhaps an administrator or scholar or academic depending on what is in your best interest
1: that's that's great advice there's so much to glean from that tell me a little bit more about your experience personally when you had to transition from that uh, resident role to attending
2: I think that's very challenging for everyone. As a matter of fact, one of my friends who was a colleague at Stanford had been there 10 years and just, I sent an email the other day because he has a new role at a different facility and I asked him how things were going and this is a fantastic clinician-academician who is incredibly talented and he even, he texted me back and said, I'm adjusting, it's humbling and I'm still learning. So for someone with 10 years of experience who is incredibly talented to still feel the challenge of a new environment or a new workplace. I think that would extrapolate to the fact that it should go without saying that a new position after residency is going to be challenging no matter who you are, no matter how you've trained, and no matter where you're practicing. So taking that into consideration, this is the beginning of a new life experience or new professional experience. And I think it's important to be prepared. And so part of my goals, educating and mentoring residents in their transition is to help this transition be as seamless or as smooth as possible, because ultimately it not only affects them as an individual, but certainly it affects all the patients they'll be caring for.
1: Wonderful. It sounds like a huge life change. It sounds like it's overwhelming. What are some tactics or rituals or things that you think would be helpful in dealing with almost like the anxiety behind it and the overwhelming uh, responsibility behind the new role?
2: Well, I, I think overwhelming is, may not be overwhelming, but it certainly will be challenging. And hopefully, the goal will be to. Prevent someone from feeling overwhelmed. But being anxious is expected. For example, I'm very capable as a clinician and academician and scholar myself, but I still get anxious when I walk into the emergency department and in a position to teach people. And that's normal to feel anxious. It's how you respond to that anxiety or how you respond to prevent that overwhelm that will help residents in their transition to attending. So to expand on that a little bit further and to try to help decrease the amount of overwhelm that someone may experience, again, I think the shadowing or the pre-first day preparation is incredibly important. Taking the time to find or seek out one or more mentors who can help you through the transition at the facility or in the place you're going to be working, whether that's the chief or chair of the department, whether that's someone who's been there for a long time, whether that's someone who's recently made that transition themselves. Who is helpful to you or willing to take the time to mentor and nurture you but that preparation part is so key because there are so many nuances and differences to each hospital environment whether it's the political climate the ED workflow climate, the throughput, the efficiency, the expectations on new attendings, the expectations for teaching, the expectations for teamwork and collaboration. There are so many nuances that I think that challenges of that transition is something that everyone should pay attention to. Even getting to know the nurses by name, that's helpful. Getting to know the consultants, is helpful and important getting to know the the workflow for certain types of patients or certain patient complaints or certain patient presentations within this new facility is really important because there are differences both regional local and even hospital differences
1: perfect what else uh would you like to share from this hidden curriculum
2: I like the fact that it's labeled a hidden curriculum. There are some programs that perhaps spend more time or energy focusing on this hidden curriculum and others perhaps less so. So I like to think about what new positions have to offer. They're very, very exciting in terms of the opportunities that are presented, um, in terms of the ability to take what you've learned as a resident and craft it or shape it into your own practice style. During residency, I know a lot of residents often feel that they have to practice similarly to the attending style with whom they're working for that shift or that day and sometimes residents struggle with working with more than one attending or more than one attending style sometimes in the same shift so this is an opportunity for a a resident who hasn't quite crafted their style of practice to really allow it to come to fruition and develop and then further develop that so one of my recommendations is for senior residents or residents at any level of training is to really start working on their own practice style and their own way of interacting with patients and nurses and staff and not focus instead on how the attending with whom they're working or who is supervising them not focusing on how that person's style is or how that person would want them to practice but instead focus on their own practice style development, whether it's teaching style, whether it's interacting with patient style, whether it's consultation style, and that's something that hopefully residents will be prepared for to help ease that transition.
1: So with that in mind, how long do you feel that uh, residents feel comfortable in their own practice style outside of residency? So do you think it takes maybe a year or two? Does it take three years? Does it take five years? When when do we start feeling comfortable in our own skin do you think?
2: That's a great question Faith. I talk ab- in in the lecture that I'm presenting this afternoon I talk about the timeline. And the timeline is something that starts before your first shift. So that's the preparation, the shadowing I mentioned, learning the hospital culture, learning the climate, learning the EMR. That's before your first shift. Then you have the first few shifts where everything is new and everything is exciting and everything is stressful and challenging then you have the first few months where you're starting to hit your stride and starting to feel comfortable and you've hopefully had a few very challenging or sick patients because having that first intubation or that first trauma or that first cardiac arrest that's something that it's very humbling and stressful until you've sort of experienced that once or the first few times and then most people within the first few months or maybe the first six months are really hitting their stride and feeling very confident. And then they may have a challenging case or a difficult patient interaction or a difficult consultant or nurse interaction that sort of sets them back perhaps, maybe because they've started feeling a little overconfident, maybe because they've been there a little while. But those challenging interactions And those conflicts will happen. They happen to everyone. Those difficult patient interactions and sad or challenging or unexpected patient outcomes will happen to everyone. And it's how we as emergency physicians and individuals deal with that, with resilience and with self-care and self-reflection. And from there, I think from my experience of witnessing a number of residents who've graduated over the years usually six months to a year is when you sort of feel like you're really hit you've hit that stride and you've developed your practice style you've certainly taken care of a large number of patients with varying acuities and hopefully had numerous successes in terms of your interactions with consultants nurses patients families and you've hopefully done things that are making you feel confident with your skills and your training. I think everyone should feel confident with their skills and their training. By that time, they will have taken their boards and that should increase their level of confidence with passing the boards. So I think there's a lot of that timeline that starts before the first shift, that the first couple of shifts are challenging and very stressful, the first few months, and then six months to a year is is a good timeline of thinking that you're hitting your stride and you're becoming more confident and that does differ for, that does differ for everyone, but that's sort of a generic or general uh, philosophical presentation.
1: Oh, perfect. to summarize what do you feel are the most important aspects of The transition from resident to attending, like if you were to summarize it in five points, what would
2: you say? Five points. (laughs) All right. The first point I would say is to trust yourself. Trust your instincts. That's still the first point. You've trained in residency. You're talented. You've seen a lot of patients as a resident and as an attending I think trusting yourself and trusting your instincts if something doesn't seem right don't let people coerce or force you to do something that you're not comfortable with and i can share a story if there's time one of my graduates told me that she was taking care of a a body packer and everyone was trying to convince her to send the patient home and to let the patient go but she was concerned enough that she kept observing the patient and he ended up having a cardiac, a young patient had a cardiac arrest Mm -hmm. under her care. Had she sent the patient home and listened to perhaps some of those other healthcare providers who were encouraging her to do what they wanted and not what she wanted, Mm -hmm. that would have been a tragic outcome. So trusting your instincts, trusting yourself, that's I think the first and most important point. A second point is to work as a team emergency medicine is a team there's no i in team work with your nurses and respect them worse work with your techs and respect them work with your consultants and respect them it's all about patient safety and patient care and patient outcomes and remember part of the patient is their family and support staff so think about interacting in a favorable and positive way with as many people as you can as you're taking care of patients. A third thought would be to become comfortable delegating responsibility. I know a lot of new physicians or new attending physicians, new faculty, junior faculty, are uncomfortable or less comfortable either asking for help or assigning responsibilities to people. And I think given the responsibilities that faculty have delegating is part of the workload and being comfortable delegating is an important element of your clinical practice so being comfortable delegating and uh, doing it in a sincere and positive way with the hope of the best patient outcome is something to consider and something to work on it's not an easy skill to be comfortable delegating i think a, a fourth point would be to enjoy the opportunity and the work that you do. Uh, We talk about joy and meaning in medicine. We talk about burnout and physician wellness. What we do is very challenging, is very emotionally draining. And I think we need to think about self-care. We think we need to think about making sure that we have the emotional resources to care for ourselves so that we can care for our patients. I, I, like, I like to think of it as when you arrive at a code, take your own pulse first. <laughs> or when you're on an airplane and the oxygen masks come down, you need to put the oxygen on yourself before you put it on your child. So those are things to consider self-care so that you can care for patients to the best of your abilities so that they deserve and they get the care that they need. And self-care includes being mindful of circadian rhythms being mindful of how many clinical shifts you do in a row, being mindful of how many academic or scholarly projects you get yourself involved with early on, given that you're talented and capable and you may have a decrease in the number of clinical hours compared to being a resident as a new attending, but you have a different set of responsibilities as an attending, whether they're teaching responsibilities, committee responsibilities, hospital politic responsibilities, um, getting to know the nurses and the staff and the consultants. Those are all responsibilities that are important. So being mindful of your self-care is something that I think is extremely and incredibly important. And then finally, the, the I guess the fifth pearl That you've asked me to come up with on the spot. (laughs) So I appreciate the challenge. Thank you. I hope I'm doing well.
1: You are. Thank you.
2: I I think the fifth pearl is to really recognize that people in your lives matter, whether it's family, friends, spouses, colleagues, friends in emergency medicine, friends out of emergency medicine, but people in your lives matter. And again, related to wellness and well being having the opportunity to to exercise, eat well, get sleep, spend time with the people whom you love or enjoy, that allows you to then take on projects, work effectively, provide the best care to patients, do the best teaching if you're at a teaching institution. And even if you're not at a teaching institute, you can teach nurses, you can Mm -hmm. teach students or advanced practice providers. So being your best self, and caring for yourself so that you can care for others and do the other things that you want to do and desire, I think is a really important pearl that should supersede all the other pearls that I've given. So self-care is something that I think goes without saying, and it's not a sign of weakness to focus on yourself in terms of self-care. I believe it's a sign of strength
1: well that's perfect advice well summarized and is there anything else you want to add to that Uh, that we haven't covered
2: uh, well thank you for the opportunity i think enjoying the fruits of your hard work enjoying the opportunity to provide outstanding care to patients in their time of stress or anxiety or fear perhaps the worst day of their lives Mm -hmm. It's an incredible responsibility, but it's also an incredible privilege and honor to be in that position, to care for patients, to manage their care, to teach, to supervise, to provide really kindness to people who need kindness, to listen to people who want to be heard, and to try to acknowledge and validate people who need and want and deserve to be acknowledged and validated for patients, but that's also for the rest of the healthcare team. And that's where being respectful, addressing people by their name, and treating them with kindness is always a good thing. And that's the advice and recommendation that I give to all of you. So good luck with your careers, and good luck with the transition, you as well, Faith. (laughs) And thank you for giving me the opportunity to share some of my experience and expertise and passion.
1: Thank you so much for your time, Dr. Garmel, and yes, we are so excited that you are here. You were able to give us this podcast and drop so much wisdom and inspiration, and so we look forward to the rest of your um, presentation and lecture today, so thank you again.
2: It's my pleasure. Thank you, Faith.
0: We hope you have enjoyed this podcast brought to you by the American Academy of Emergency Medicine resident and student association. For more information about RSA, visit the website at www.aaemrsa.org. Listen to all podcasts in this series and explore the ways you can get involved with RSA. Join us again next episode for another topic of importance for emergency medicine residents and students.